Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Hi, I'm Amanda Gerkins from Legacy Leaders, and I'm here today with John DeSantis of the law firm of Levine and DeSantis. So, how are you, John? Good afternoon, Amanda. Thank you for having me today. Nice to have you. So, what I wanted to find out from you is exactly, you know, what law school did you go to? I went to St. John's Law School at night, and in the day I was working as a CPA at the law at the accounting firm back in the day of Pete Mollick, which is now KPMG. Okay. So why did you focus on estate planning? Well, that's a great question. When I was in law school, I didn't know if I'd ever be an attorney. I just thought I would be a business person. Knowing the accounting and knowing the law, I thought it would make a great, great marriage. And But after law school, I went and got further punishment and went for my LLM and tax, which is attorneys who specialize in a certain area of law, mine happened to be taxation. And then I was a senior tax manager at the firm of KPMG, and then I moved into law. Very good. So did you start out at Levine and DeSantis, or how did you get to there? Well, it's a funny story. I was working at KPMG. And a friend of mine at the at the accounting firm came and said, oh, you remember this person? I'm like, yeah. Well, he's working with a solo practitioner in New Jersey, and they're looking for somebody. And they do trust in estate work, what you want to do. And I said, fine, let's go for an interview. We went for an interview. That was May of 93, and the rest is history. Okay. So and that was that Levine DeSantis. <laughs> right. Well, that's great. So- who would be your ideal client? There's no ideal client. Is it in a sense that's a great question? A lot of the financial planners ask me that, but I always like to educate my clients on what their options are. So whether someone's worth three hundred thousand or three hundred million, they may not have all their options. Now, different options cost different money. And it depends on their value that they place on certain options. So, for example, I had a lady come in. She had 400000 She had one son. And she gave everything outright to the son. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I said to her, well, how would you feel is if you died? And when you were gone, after four years after you were gone, your son got divorced. And maybe your daughter-in-law gets half the money or maybe she don't. Or worse yet, your son dies who had a kid. And his will says, give everything to daughter-in-law, who's a young lady. She marries someone else and your money goes somewhere else. So we talked about a, a new will that would cost X. And I said to her, look, you could do nothing. There's nothing legally wrong, but this is an option for you. And if it's of value Thanks. to you, you do it. So anyone that I think needs help or they're not sure of their plan is right for them and what their options are, they're my perfect client. Okay. So you feel that the misconception is that people feel, well, I really don't have a lot of money, so I don't need to do this? Yes. That is a that is a big misconception because A, they may not know their options. And B, if their documents are not correct or 
let me rephrase that, if they're not optimal, they could end up costing their loved ones if they were to get ill or die a good chunk of change. So go into a little bit more about what kind of documents they really need to have in an estate plan. I know that when you gave that workshop, you talked about things that people don't necessarily do. Oh, so absolutely. could you yeah, explain you know, explain that a little more? Well, picture this. So you're building a house. And in order to build the house, you have to lay the foundation. You can't put the first floor until the foundation's in, and you can't put in the second floor until the first floor is in. So the, I believe the foundation to everybody is at least being exposed, whether they want to do it or not is another story, but they should at least be exposed to three fundamental documents, a healthcare directive or a living will, a power of attorney, and a will. And the healthcare directive, you would be shocked, but I would say 75% of the people have them, older that is, the younger ones when they turn 18. What the parents don't realize is when their kid turns 18, they don't have the ability to make their financial and, and, and medical decisions for their child anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. So none of them have it and they need it because God forbid COVID people get sick. You got to be able to make their decisions both medically and financially. But I would say as the people get older and we realize that we're not uh, indestructible like we think when we're younger and that sickness and illness is someone else's problem, we need these documents. So. You would think, okay, healthcare directive, John, what can go wrong with that? Well, if you have a healthcare directive, that's great. But then the next question is, do you have a healthcare directive that allows your healthcare agent, the one who will make decisions for you if you become incompetent, do you have HIPAA? Do you have the mechanism where your healthcare agent can talk to your medical providers and have access to your medical records so that they can make the decision? And you want also, I see a lot of healthcare directives where one spouse names another spouse and then they stop. Well, they could be in the same car accident and now who's making their decisions? So you would want at least a backup, A, if not A, B, and if not B, C. So that if A and B, if A is spouses C and A and C are in the same accident, we got people behind them making their medical decisions for them. And you'd be surprised, but a lot of married people name each other and then they stop for whatever reason. And you can never name two because if you name your son and your daughter and your son says, pull the plug and your daughter says, don't, there's no time for rock, paper, scissors, daddy dies. They need to have one person making the decision. So that's a simple document everyone should have, but not everyone does. The other one that I mentioned was the power of attorney, which unlike the healthcare directive allows someone to make medical decisions for you. The power of attorney allows someone to make financial decisions for you, paying your bills, uh, uh, filing your income tax returns, whatever you could do, they could do. And here, same thing. You want to have backups so that if you name A and A is not around, we have B and B is not around C. Here, you can have two people. But if you do have two people, you name your two daughters, Lisa and Sally. You better say Lisa and Sally jointly or separately. Because if you just say Lisa and Sally, the law will presume you meant jointly and everything they have to do, pay bills, bring a lawsuit, file, they got to do jointly, an administrative nightmare. Right. The other thing that most powers of attorney are suboptimal is with respect to gifting. So let's say you have somebody 
You have an aunt. She has one child. Aunt becomes ill. She gets dementia. And the aunt has a house. And that's basically it. And, and maybe a little cash. And, and, and aunt's daughter, only child, comes to you and says, oh my God, my mother's sick. I got to get the house out of her name because if I don't, eventually Medicaid, the state will take it and will be nothing left. And the power of attorney, aunt's power of attorney says everything aunt could do, daughter could do, everything mother could do, aunt, daughter could do if mother was incompetent. So daughter says, hey, no problem. I have a power of attorney and it says everything my mother could do, I could do. I'm just going to move my mother's asset out of her name, into my name, start the five-year clock running for Medicaid, and then mom could be on government entitlements and no one could get it. Well, what daughter doesn't realize is if the power of attorney does not specifically allow for gifting, you cannot do it. So even if the power of attorney says everything mommy could do, daughter could do, not good enough. It must specifically allow for gifting. Now, I see some powers of attorney say the attorney, in fact, in our case, daughter, can gift, but not to exceed the annual exclusion. The problem with that is the annual exclusion is 17000 So how are we going to get the house out? Or it says the attorney, in fact, can gift, but only, only consistent with their prior gifting. Well, when have they ever gifted all their assets away? So you have to have the carefully gifted, carefully crafted gifting provision in your power of attorney, which I would say 75% of them from what I've seen in life are lacking. If you have more than one kit, then you want to have a little mechanism to prevent self-dealing. We don't want two kids, son and daughter. Son says, oh, mom's sick. Let me take, I can gift. Let me gift all my assets, all my mother's assets to me, and I'll just disinherit my sister in effect. No, we limit gifting to yourself to 5% of what mommy owns. So in this case, if mommy owned 500 grand, son could gift 5% of that to his name or 25 grand, but that's it. He could gift unlimited to his sister. His sister could gift unlimited to him, but he's limited to how much he could gift himself to prevent self-dealing. And there's also a tax reason for that, which I won't go in. So those two mm -hmm. small documents that you would think we all have, but you'd be shocked even as people get older, they don't have. And then last but not least is the will, or in some states we use living or revocable trusts because probate's a dirty word, meaning how do you get the assets from the deceased person's name to the beneficiary of whoever's supposed to get it of, of the document. Uh, New Jersey is not a difficult probate state. You don't need a living trust. You could have one, but you don't need one. Now here, it's for me the most rewarding. I have the privilege of having people share with me their innermost feelings regarding their family, their assets, including their businesses, which is like almost another child. And based on that sharing, I get to design a plan for them, both estate plan, business plan potentially, that not only uh, effectuates their wishes, but also at the same time minimizes the debt taxes. And if my client so desires to protect their loved ones when they're gone from the perils of their life, namely death, divorce, and to some extent, creditors. But I think that's the foundation of everyone's planning 
And from there, we build the first floor if needed. Great. Okay. So I was going to ask you about what went wrong, but the thing is that if they don't have these documents, that's what goes wrong. And then they're stuck because mommy is incapacitated or gone. Yes. And if someone goes, God forbid, gets ill, and you don't have a power of attorney or healthcare director for that person, then you have to go for a guardianship proceeding. And that little document, which may cost one hour of attorney time, instead of that, healthcare director or power of attorney, you're in a guardianship proceeding where the court appoints an attorney for the person who's allegedly incapacitated. And then there's an attorney representing the person that wants to be the guardian. And ten to $15,000 later, you get to make decisions if no one argues with you for your loved one. And if you don't have a will, this is I've, I've had this situation where people don't have a will and they die with 10 grand. And then you have to tell the people that they have to, when you probate a will, that's called probating a will. When you don't have a will, they call it an administration. And an administration The person that wants to be the administrator, the person in charge of the person's assets who died without a will, you're going to have to pay an attorney out of your own money to go into court to allow you. And then the court will make you post bond just to make sure you don't abscond with the money. So it's a very expensive procedure sometimes to get a very small asset. I've had people say, it's only seven grand. I'm not doing it. It's going to cost me more than seven grand to become the administrator. I might as well just not get the asset. They just had the will. They'd avoid. See, so this is good for people to know. So what is you? what do you feel is your biggest challenge right now? I think the biggest challenge is, is, is a couple of things. I think people like you had previously uh, astutely mentioned is that they feel, ah, I don't have enough money. It doesn't matter. It's not your wealth that matters. It's the fact that if you don't have any documents, you'll cause your loved ones more emotional and financial harm than if you had documents. You may not have the optimal documents for you. What I believe is people will spend more time planning a vacation than they will their ultimate demise. For obvious reasons, it's more fun to plan the vacation. So what is your unique process to reach out to your clients? Well, we, existing clients, we send out a letter every year talking about updates of law and cases that may be of interest to them to come on in and revisit their planning. The biggest thing that people must realize, and and, and quite frankly, it's part of your foundation is asset titling, what most people don't realize. And let me explain that. Just because, uh, let's say you have Sally, and Sally does a will that says, give everything to Harry. So Sally's will says, I give all Harry. But Sally has an IRA payable to John DeSantis, and that IRA is 10 grand. Well, who gets it? The will says everything goes to Harry. The IRA is 10 grand. It says, go to John DeSantis. What most people don't realize is the IRA will go to John DeSantis. It supersedes the will. Why is that? What do the following have in common? IRAs, 401ks, profit sharing plans, money purchase plans, 403bs, annuities, payable on death, transfer on death, life insurance. They're all contracts. And when you write who the beneficiary is, that supersedes your will. Most people don't realize that. They also don't realize that if you have an asset joint, 
whether it's real estate, cash, or securities, joint between John and Sally, uh, real estate, joint between John and Sally, cash, joint between John and Sally, securities. Well, whatever that joint asset is, I'm getting irrespective of what Sally's will says. So the bottom line is assets pass one of three ways at death. Contract, which is your beneficiary forms, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, profit sharing plans, money purchase plans, annuities, life insurance, payable off on debt, transfer on debt. All those types of assets are not going by the terms of your will. Next way assets pass, by operation of law. Jointly assets. Every state has a law that if you own an asset jointly, John and Mary, John dies, Mary gets it. Mary dies, John gets it. Doesn't go by the terms of the will. The only assets that go by your will are assets that are in your name alone, i.e. not joint, operational law, that have no beneficiary designation, i.e. not a contract. So the way assets pass at death is cow, contract, operational law, will. And the only assets that pass by the will are assets, once again, that are in your name alone, i.e. not joint, that have no beneficiary designation. Most people, when they come in, when I make them list out all their assets, whether they're jointly owned in daddy's name alone, mommy's name alone, or single person's name alone, or joint, who their Benny is, most people's assets, 70 plus, 80% plus, don't go by the terms of their will, go by either operational law or contract. And the key is that whatever we put in the will has to mirror what's happening on the contracts and what's happening jointly. The coordination of the estate plan, the will, with the asset titling is essential. And that's probably the biggest mistake most people make. Uh-huh. So. so what is it that you like to do best for your clients? What the, the biggest, I think my biggest pleasure is help, you know, people have a bad connotation with law. You know, it's just like, oh, the lawyers get involved. It's just like one big mess. And it's just, you're either in a divorce or litigation and it's emotionally fueled. This is, I like mine because I feel we're on the constructive side. We're helping people solve their pains, really, because the reason why you're doing a will, healthcare directed the power, is there's something you need to do or protect your family, your spouse, uh, a challenged child, a child who's in a bad marriage, a child who's a spendthrift. Or, or, or. And so my uh, greatest sense of accomplishment is in, in helping them achieve their goals. Sounds great. Yeah. So how can people find you? Well, we are located in Springfield, New Jersey. It's uh, Levine DeSantis. And for the people that are, we're about five minutes west of the Short Hills Mall. And there's something called the Wine Library, which every holiday, everyone, it's like just, it's just a big, place with wine and alcohol. And uh, it's like everybody's destination spot during the holidays, so much so that they have to hire guards on Morris okay. Avenue to control the traffic going in and out. Uh, very accessible to all the routes, uh, the Garden State Parkway, 78, 22, 24, the Jersey Turnpike. So they could find us rather easily. You want to give them a phone number? If sure. So the name of the firm is Levine DeSantis, and my name is John DeSantis, and our number is 973-376-9050. Okay. So great. Great having you. And so- Thank you very much for having me. And very, very informative. I thank you so much. 
Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.